God's been at work already this morning here at Grace, and we're excited to be part of it. And we're wrapping up this dude series uh, today. And hopefully over the last two weeks, you have been challenged, encouraged, maybe even inspired by watching other men around you, maybe provoked and prompted by the Holy Spirit to be a different man. And my hope is this, is when you leave this place today, that you'll be different than what you were than when you walked in. My hope is this, that God continues to grab the heart of a man and change him and make him more like him. And when that happens, there's no stopping what could happen with a man who's connected to Jesus Christ and sees the righteousness of God in him and walks in that power. Watch out, world. Watch out, Satan. Today, we're going to address this concept. Dudes, it's not too late. It's not too late to give up. It's not too late to give in. It's not too late to say, I've gone too far away from God to get back. It's not too late to recover from an adversity that's been handed to you. It's just not too late. And there are dudes in this room, there are dudes in the link, there are dudes that are watching on the internet that you think that your situation is too bleak, too difficult, you've messed up too bad, that it's just too late to ever recover and finish your life strong. I beg to differ with that. I'm always encouraged and inspired by overcomers. People who overcome. Who take what they've been handed and overcome with it. I'm also inspired when I see dudes do that. Because it inspires me as a man to think, maybe my situation isn't as bleak. The Bible is loaded with examples of overcoming. I'm going to show you a real dude has chosen to overcome in a way that will inspire you and cause you to think, I can probably overcome too. Watch this little dude. Let's go. 
guys. That was a great game. Hey, great game. Hey, great game. Good game. Hey, great 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 Too difficult, not strong enough, I messed up too much, too much hard work, too lazy. What's your excuse? What's your excuse for becoming the man that Christ wants you to become? What is it after watching something like that? Is there anything you can say other than you just choose not to do it? What's your excuse? How can you watch something like that and not just be inspired from within and say, if that little dude can do it, then what I face is nothing compared to that. You know one of the things I really love about that? You don't see those kids pitying him. You don't see him saying, hey, let me help you out. You see a guy who's taking what he's been handed and say, I'm going to make the best of this. And not only am I going to make the best of this, I'm going to rise above. I'm going to get into the game, and I'm going to be a spectator sitting on the bench. The dude was a catcher. He got knocked out at home. He slid into second base with one leg. What is your excuse, man? So are you going to live your life like we talked last week? Exploits or excuses? How are you going to live? You're going to live to the level that Christ created you to live, to the level that Christ gave his life for you, shed his blood on the cross? Are you going to waste that bloody, cruel redemption price on the cross because of a blame excuse? No more, guys. It's time you and I, as men of God, decide it stops here. It's time I get out of this vicious cycle of defaulting to insanity. It's time of all these weak little excuses like, oh, I I don't know if I can do that. That fear stops you. Or becoming less of a man that Christ intends you to be. It's never too late to change the direction of your life. It has nothing to do with your age. I have had it with men who think they're too old to be used by God. Think about that for a second. Abraham and Sarah, seriously, when's the last time you've seen a birth announcement at Greencroft? It wasn't too much for him. God said it was going to happen. It happened. It has nothing to do with race, nothing to do with age, nothing to do with income. And I'm afraid too many men in this room believe it's too difficult. Remember, the word of God is clear. Revelation 21, we looked at last week, says this. To those that overcome, to those that overcome, to those that overcome, to those that overcome will inherit the kingdom of God. Never, ever give up, men. It's not too late to overcome, but it won't be easy. Because if it was easy, then we will all tap into it. There's way too much talk in the Christian circles today amongst men saying, oh, I wish I could do that. And one of these days, and well, I should be doing more, and I should be plugged in more, and, you know, I should be using my life, and I shouldn't be wasting my life. After a while, it's just blah, 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 blah. Just do it. 
Grab your Bibles today. And we're going to take a look at a man who was handed something that was very, very, very difficult. And he chose to make the best. If you need a Bible today, and you walked in today, we're glad that you're here. Hold your hand up. Men, I've been speaking to you. You better have your Bibles today and not borrow them from your girlfriends. And not car- you better be carrying your own husbands. You should be leading the way with your Bible. If you need this Bible, take it home with you. Every man of God is not ashamed to carry his Bible. Turn to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. If you need this Bible, seriously, take it home. It's yours to keep. If you don't, bring your Bible back next week. Face your situation like a man. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 37. We're going to look at a man who was handed some adverse conditions. <laughs> he never complained. He never griped. He never bailed out because it was too difficult. He just chose to take it and make the best. And he, with God, overcame. Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 through 4. Men, would you stand? We're going to read this together. Make sure it's your Bible and not your wives and your girlfriends. Just man up and go get your own Bible. Genesis, don't be ashamed. I'm serious. You didn't bring your Bible. You don't hold your girlfriends or your wives. Go get your own. Genesis 37. Let's read verses 1 to 4. Ready? Read, guys. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. You may have a seat. Thank you for reading, man. Scenario is pretty interesting. By the way, the translation NIV, this is just a little sidebar. That's the best translation of a richly ornamented robe. One translation has a coat of many colors. They actually get that from the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. The best translation is a richly ornamented robe. It means it was decorated. It, was, it stood out. So Joseph is handed this situation. Seriously. He's loved by his father not because, more, not because he chose not, not because he chose that, because he was born to his father in old age. It wasn't his fault that his mom and his dad decided to have a baby at an old age, and somehow they loved him more. He had nothing to do with that birth. He just, mom and dad do what mom and dads do, and he showed up. So we can't hold it against him. Like, you should hold that against you because, like, you're the baby. No, he, you can't. He was just born. And so you have these brothers who know that father loves him more. It's the typical case of a younger sibling. You know, often you get a whole house of brothers. The younger brother often has to live up to the other brother's life. Like, my brother did this, and they always talk about your brother. Well, you're not like your brother. You're not like this. It's difficult to be placed in that scenario. Most of the time, older brothers like to beat up their little brother. So Joseph was small. He was 17, and so he faces, and in addition to that, his father Jacob, Israel, loved him more. Joseph couldn't stop that. He just loved him more because he was born to him in an old age. And then in Genesis chapter 37, Look what else happens in verse 5. Joseph had a dream, 
And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I have. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright. While your sheaves gathered around me and bowed down to it. Now seriously, think about this for a second. Joseph is just dreaming a dream. Nothing intrinsically wrong with that. Maybe the wisdom in delivering that to his brothers that one day, hey, you're going to bow down to me. Maybe he lacked wisdom, but he's telling the truth. God just gave a dream on his heart. He spoke the truth. His brothers hated him. Then he says this, and oh, by the way, I had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, they didn't listen. They were tired of the first dream. He said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. About this moment, big brothers beat him up, take his lunch money, and then he finishes the story. Verse 10, when he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were what? What's it say? Jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. It's interesting there. It's often like Mary treasured these things in her heart. The father kept this in mind because he realized my younger son is dreaming dreams, and he's saying things that the older sons weren't saying. And so he kept the matter in mind because he knew that some point, This could potentially happen. It's like he checked it out and he said, you know what? I'm going to hold that there, that thought for a while. So Joseph has a second dream. By the way, you can't fault him for having a dream, can you? It's like the brothers hating. He was just saying, hey, hey dudes, I'm just telling you what God told me. And so you can't fault the guy initially for telling. Maybe he lacked wisdom and backing one up after the other. But truth be known, he said, one day I'll rule over the land. And one day I'll rule over you and you will serve me. And so his brothers hated him all the more. In fact, they wanted to kill him. Look at verse 17. They moved on from here. The man answered, and I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. Verse 18. But they saw him in the distance. And before he reached him, they plotted to what? Kill him. Here comes that dreamer boy, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him. Now, that's a great plan, isn't it? They hate him so much, just just kill him. And throw him to one of the cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. You see the sarcasm in that, that verse there. So the brothers are upset. They're tired of dreamer boy coming and telling him he's going to rule over them, wearing his Nike swoosh jacket, and they're wearing McGregor's from Kmart. And they, they said, enough of this nonsense. And so they said, we're going we're gonna to just wipe him out. And so the plan was, as they saw him in the distance, it doesn't appear like they were plotting and planning this for a long time. They saw him one of them and said, dudes, let's kill him. All right, I'm ready to kill him. Yeah, let's kill him. So they kill him or want to kill him. They want to bury him, throw him in a cistern, and tell dad that he's dead. Meanwhile, they throw him in a cistern. He gets sold off to some slave, become a slave. And he ends up, with Egyptians in Egypt. Look at verse 36. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of the Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. So for a minute here, just think through this. Started out one day, he just had a dream. By the way, what's wrong with having a dream? I mean, I've had many dreams. God, I feel like this is God, can I, will you do this? I'd love to do this with you. Can you help me? And so I, I've laid out dreams. 
And so there's nothing wrong with dreaming about your future and dreaming how God can use you. In this case, the brothers didn't like it. They sell him off, take their coat back to Pop and say, here, Dad, looky here, Joseph is dead. And they wipe some blood on it. And Father Jacob thought he was dead. So meanwhile, Joseph is sold off. He's in a foreign country and he's with Egyptians far, far, far away from home. He could have in this moment, he could have crawled into a corner in Egypt, sucked his thumb, and became the baby boy of the family. He could have turned his back on God. He could have said, I'm just going to screw this whole thing, this Jesus thing, because if God really loves me, why did he allow this to happen? I did nothing wrong. He could have, he could have, he could have, he just manned up and became the man that God wanted him to become. Listen to me, men, today. Don't dare forget that your life was marked out ahead of time by God. And he fully intends to see you reach the destiny he's laid out for you, regardless of where he finds you right now. Some men in this room right now, you're, just, you're cycling in sin. And you're in this, this battle of sin. And you're just like, man, you just, you're falling, falling, falling. You think, boy, there's no way out of this dark, dark, dark place. Yes, there is a way out. It's called repentance asking for forgiveness, a change of the heart, and getting back on that narrow road. Some of you today are handed adversity and say, what's well, just too difficult, Pastor Jim? Just too difficult. I just, what I've been handed, take a look at Adam Bender. It's not too difficult. So you have choice to make with the situation that you find yourself in today, what you'll do with it. Joseph is about to make decisions that changes the whole direction of a whole country's life. But you must not let these moments of hardship leave you hopeless. I love watching people overcome. I love watching men and women walk through very difficult times and just holding on to the hope of God and saying, one day God's going to come through in a different way and we're going to march through this. I've also been amazed by people who have been handed adverse situations and how they respond. I've been amazed watching Tim Tebow. He's a quarterback for the Denver Broncos. And if you know him, he, 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 he was a, a stud quarterback in college for the University of Florida. And so ever since he's left every stage he's went to, even NFL, they've, the, the, these analysts and commentators says he doesn't have what it takes to become an NFL quarterback. They said it in college, they said it in high school, and now they're saying it in pro. And so he's different. He's not your typical, if you're a quarterback, drop pass three steps and throw the ball. He plays the, the spot differently. By the way, he's a horse. He's 240 pounds. He would run over you. And I was thinking, won't you stand in the way once, commentator, and just think what you think after he runs over you. And so there's this, there's this, there's this, these, these, these announcers after games on Monday, they, they don't know what to do. They, they, they talk for hours, and they're like, I, I don't know. He just keeps winning. There's somehow, he, he just keeps winning. This past week on Thursday night, they were playing the New York Jets. Denver Brockham was playing the New York Jets. They were down 13 to 10. They had to go 95 yards. They were on the five-yard line. There's five minutes left in the game. Analysts, commentators are saying, you know, Denver's done. In fact, all those guys wanted to see Denver done because they don't know do it, this guy, because he has the favor of God on his life. So he gets in the huddle, and he says this to his team. The wide receiver said he said this. Now, think, up to that point, they had hardly even marched down the field. They scored 10 points, one defensive play. But anyhow, they get to the end of this game, and one of the receivers, Eddie Royal, said this. He said, we were in the huddle, and he said this to us. So Tim Tebow said, this is where greatness happens. This is what you want if you want to be great. Everyone rooting against you. 
Everyone thinks that you can't do it. Everyone wanting you to fail. And Tim got in that huddle and said this, this is where greatness happens. When adversity is on your doorstep, when you're not supposed to win, when you don't have the typical three-step drop, when you don't have what it looks like you should have as a quarterback, he says, this is our chance to be great. And he marched him down the field and ran in a 23-yard touchdown. And all week they've been saying, how does he do that? It's because he believes with God he can do anything. You know, what would happen, if men, if we really believed that? If we marched into our lives and said, you know, with, with God, we can do anything. What would happen if we, we just pushed off these adverse people, these adverse situations, and we turned them around like Joseph is about to do and use them for good and overcome? Take a survey right now, dudes, of your life. Don't raise your hand. You don't want to embarrass yourself. Is this where you pictured you would be with your life? Seriously, is this like when you were that little kid and now you're 40 years old and you're 35 years old and you're 50 years old and you're 65 years old and you're 70 years old, is this where you picture you would be in Christ? Is this, are you satisfied with the condition of your health physically, emotionally, spiritually? Are you satisfied with the condition of your family, of your home, of your dreams? Do you walk away and you wake up and say, yes, with God, look what we've done. Or is there this part of your heart saying, man, i got to pick it up. Listen to me. No matter where you're at, dudes, no matter where you find yourself today, it's never too late to turn it around. Never too late. This could be your moment for greatness. When all the odds are stacked against you and people are saying, oh, I know his story. He gets to a point, then he says something, then he drops off. Oh, I know his story. He gets going for a little bit, and then he plummets in sin. Oh, I know his story. He just bails out. This could be your moment of greatness. Everyone's rooting against you but God, tapping into his power and standing above and doing something great. For many of you in this room, you somehow believe just the opposite of that, though. You believe you kind of deserve what you've been getting and where you're at. And even worse, you think God would never bless because I've just, I've sinned too much. So it's just too late for you and God, you think, for him to do a resurrection in your life. It was this, somehow you think that, the, the, that your story is too difficult for God. Do you imagine, do you think Joseph ever thought that? Do you think that he ever thought? No, he didn't. He always knew that somehow God was going to allow him to become and be placed in a place where he could be used greatly by him. Over these last few weeks, I've tried to challenge you, encourage you to not settle in your present condition. And way too much is at stake for you to do others. I had a guy come up to me, Joe Sparkling came up to me just during the worship set. Just a few weeks ago, his father was dying. And he wasn't sure of his father's salvation. And Joe came up to me and, and told me, he said, you know, he said, you told a story one time about your friend that was, that was 18, 19 years old, and you never told him about Jesus, and that's bugged you your entire life. You wish you would have told him about Jesus Christ. And he said, I remember that story. And he said, I made sure before my father died that I shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. And he said, I got to tell you something, Jim. He said he prayed to receive Christ before he died. That is just awesome. That inspires me. He said, I did what I was supposed to do. I didn't let him die and go to hell. 
I spoke truth. I did truth. I gave him truth. And he said, my dad is now a Christ follower. He said, I manned up. He didn't allow the situation to remain as it was. Some of you need a win, by the way, to see what it tastes like so you can crave that taste for the rest of your life. Seriously. Some of you haven't had a win for so long, you forget what it tastes like to win. And for those who understand what I'm talking about, it's like when you taste that win, it's like it drives you with Christ. i got to have that again with God because with God, together we can celebrate. And some of you need a win so bad so that you can crave that taste the rest of your life. And God is saying, I want to give you that win, but you got to believe we can get that win. But it requires hard work. Choosing to do the hard things. Yesterday, there was a large group of us here from Grace, the whole pastoral staff, the Scott from our tech, and, and Jeff, our facility coordinator, and, and other men in this room decided we would run the Tough Mudder or this event in uh, Attica. And let me tell you, there were moments all along the way, 26 obstacles, 12 miles, climbing walls, running through water, jumping off a cliff that's 20 feet in the, the air, plummeting into a quarry, and, and for a moment, seriously, I thought I was dead because it was so cold, I panicked, and then finally every other guy said that. And there were moments along the way that all of us could have just given up and bailed out. But to stand at the end of this, of this event with every guy, to finish with every teammate, all eight of us, and get to the end, and to stand and look back and see all these obstacles, and see all these adverse things, and to know that we finish as a team, and not one of us chose not to complete an obstacle, there was just this deep, deep satisfaction, and my calves were screaming, telling me and reminding me of it. Let me tell you, guys, don't be that guy who doesn't man up and do whatever it takes to find the win for Christ. Not once during this entire episode that we're going to see today in Joseph's life does he play the whiner or victim. Take a look back at your week, by the way. Were you all talk? Did you leave last Sunday and say, I'm not going to be that guy? And then Monday you were fired up and you went into the gym and worked out and you, you, you dug into God's word and you, you got on that blitz for like two days and you told people about Jesus Christ and you treated your girlfriend right in a godly way and you treated your wife and your kids right and you gave them the time and about Wednesday rolled around and you're getting tired and, and you started getting lazy on Thursday and now you're coming back in and it's like, oh man, I'm, I'm the same guy I was. Listen, it's time we break that cycle. It requires hard work. At any moment, you have a choice to make. Joseph is about to make a choice that changes the direction of his life and the direction of the whole country. You see, the test of courage for man comes when we are in the minority. The test of tolerance comes when we're in the majority. Think about that for a second. The test of courage comes for men when we're in the minority. The test of tolerance comes when we're in the majority. Will I tolerate this since everyone else is doing it? Will I do this because if I do it, it's difficult and no one else is doing it? It's two situations that require courage to do both. Becoming a man of God, you've heard me say this, but it's worth repeating. It's not just going to happen today. You're going to say, yeah, Jim, I'm going to be the man of God today, and you're going to leave here. It's every decision you make. It's the decision you made last night to get a good night's rest. 
It's the decision that you're going to make tomorrow morning to spend time in God's word. It's a decision that you made last night where you took your eyes and viewed things. It's a decision that you made with your mouth this week in the workplace what you said. It's a decision that you made with your wife to love her. It's a decision that you made on Wednesday morning when you were really tired after working out on Monday and Tuesday and your body was screaming and you said, I can't go back out. It's all those decisions that add up. It's not like one day, I'm going to be a man of God. I'm a man of God. I be, when did you become a man of God? Oh, I became a man of God on November 20th, in 2011 at Grace Community Church. What have you done since? Nothing. That's not a man of God. It's all the decisions that add up with your regular decisions that you make each day. So it's never too late to become that man of God. But we must never give up. Let me speak to you men today like we're in a huddle. Keep believing. Let's get this thing done for crying out loud. We can do this. We can kick Satan's butt. We can win with Jesus. We can overcome. We can be great with God. Greatness is stamped on your DNA. We can win and we can crave that win and we could do something that the church of Jesus Christ has never seen before. If men just decide to be men of God and let the righteousness that's on them because of the blood of Jesus Christ walk in that power and say, let's kick back Satan's doors of hell and let's take back property that he's stolen from us and let's just be men of God. We can do this. But you must believe that. You got to believe that tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. You got to believe that tomorrow night at, at, at 11 o'clock. You got to believe that when adversity comes, when temptation comes. You got to believe that when your arms are screaming. You got to believe that when you have leg cramps and the tough mutter for the last four miles and they are screaming at you. And you have 13 foot walls in front of you and you have a half pipe that's 20 feet high and you realize you can't even move your calves. You got to believe that it's possible. Joseph is willing to do that. And there's men in this room and in the link and on the internet that are willing to do that. I love running with those kind of men, and so do you. No man likes a whiner. No man does. Please, no matter where you find yourself today, even in the armpit of sin, you have not done anything too bad that Christ can't forgive. It's never too late to turn things around. Please, don't waste the cross. See, strong men ask for help. Weak men are afraid to admit they need it. It's so true with men. Strong men will ask for help. Weak men are afraid to admit that they need it. Strong men say, I need help. I need another man to help me do this. I need a comrade of men. I need a band of brothers. I want to win with Christ. I will not do this alone. But the very thing that happens, weak men pull away. And you know what happens? You get all by yourself and Satan just rips the tar out of you. And then you wonder, why can't I ever get on top? Because you're trying to run alone and lions love separating their, their animals that they're after so they can attack one by one. That's what lions do, but they have a difficulty in attack when there's a pack of men together. So Joseph finds himself 
in another country, facing adverse situation. It's no longer the knights in the Hilton in Jerusalem, far away from the country that he's familiar with, from his dad who loves him and buys him nice coats. But his spirit is alive and well. You can take the man out of the fight, but you can't necessarily take the fight out of the man. And Joseph is a picture of that. And so this happens to him. Look at Genesis chapter 39. He ends up in Egypt. Look what happens to him now. Chapter 39 and verse 1, it says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of the Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Look at verse 2. Please look at this. The Lord was what, Joseph? Seriously. Don't ever, don't ever look that. Joseph was sold. Joseph was left to be dead. Now he's sold to the Egyptians. He's in the Egypt, and the word of God says, but the Lord was with him. Don't you want to say, what? If, if God is with me, what's it look like if he's not with me? Seriously, isn't like, wait a minute. I, you look at that passage. Wait, that has to be a misprint there. It, it just has to. But it says the Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered. And he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, even the Egyptian master saw there was something on his life. And that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in the eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From time to time, he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned. The Lord blessed the household of Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had, with Joseph in charge of it. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Joseph decides to let his spirit be alive. And while he's off in the foreign country, the word of God says, God was with him, and everything he touched and everywhere he went, it succeeded. It's called the Joseph factor. It's where when you get this man of God or woman of God, and they walk into a place, and because they've been following hard after God, and they have the righteousness of God on them, they enter a business. And, and, and bosses in here, by the way. Look for that kind of man or woman. Look for the kind of man that has the favor of God on him. When you hire him, it says that everything else improves. And Joseph had this X factor, just like Tim Tebow does. He has a blessing of God on his life. So everywhere he went, he succeeded. Now he's in charge of Egypt. And this dream is about to come true that he had with his brothers early on. So everywhere he went, and it's because he was walking with the Lord. Whenever he entered a room, he upped the percentages of godliness. And he didn't lower it. Let me ask you a question, men, in this room. When you enter a group of men and you walk into their presence and you walk into their presence, does the percentage of godliness go up or go down? If you want God's blessing and favor in your life, then the percentage should go up. When you enter a room, does the percentage of godliness go up or go down? The answer to that question will determine who you are in Jesus Christ and who you believe you are and who you are being in Christ. Seriously, ask the question. When you enter a room, does the percentage go up or does it go down? 
Joseph finds himself, now he's in charge of everything except Potiphar's prime rib. Everything, anything he wanted, you know, Potiphar's typical man, he says, hey, I'll pick my own food. But now he's put in charge, and that says this in verse 8. Verse 7 says, now Joseph was a well-built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I, than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you. Because you are his wife. And married men are supposed to stay away from other girls. And, and guys are supposed to stay away from married women. How then could I do such a wicked thing? And sin against God. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, in other words, she kept coming back after him, scantily dressed more and more and more, saying, hey, come sleep with me. Hey, come sleep with me. Hey, come sleep with me. He refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. See, Joseph had integrity. On some level, he still honored God. Now think about this, guys, for a second. Every dude in this room, think about this. How easy it would have been to just sleep with her because his family wouldn't know about it because dad thought he was dead. His brothers had no idea where he was at, and they didn't even care. He had no one to give a report to or to answer to, but he says, I will not do this because I don't want to sin against my God. It would have been real easy to do so. And by the way, Joseph didn't, didn't have Genesis 39 to read before he read about his life when he said God was with him. It's not like someone read every day, hey, Joseph, God is with you. Hey, God is with you. God, hey, read it. It's right here. God is with you. He knew he was and assumed he was, and he knew that God was with him, and he did not want to sin against his God. Right now is your moment to live or your moment to die, dudes. It really is. You see, you must either accept the atonement for your sin and surrender it over to God and repent and receive forgiveness. Right now is your moment to do great things. These are the kind of moments that dudes can shine and do great things. These are the kind of moments that your wife is hoping that you would respond with. These are the kind of moments that your mama is hoping that her son grows up and makes the wise choice. These are the kind of moments that boys, 17-year-old boys, become men of God. Where they battle off that temptation and say, even though my flesh is saying, do it. My conscience and the spirit of God is saying, don't do it. Your moment is right now, men. Your moment to do something great is here. Yet some of you are wasting your life looking at pornography and you wonder, why am I having such a difficult time? Why do I feel so depressed? Why am I so wiped out? Why is this and why is that? Because you're spending hour after hour looking at pornography on the internet and on your smartphone. No man of God wastes his life looking at pornography. By the way, that's somebody's daughter that you're looking at. No man of God is overeating. No man of God is oversleeping. No man of God is underachieving. No man of God is, is 
disgracing the name of Jesus Christ. Looking for a shortcut. No man of God is lazy. No man of God cheats on his wife. No man of God does things that only men of the devil do. There should be a distinct difference between a man of God and a man that isn't a man of God. And for far too long, it's been quite fuzzy. This is your chance for greatness. And Joseph is shining bright as the stars. What happens to him? He does the right thing, and God is with him, and so you would think that God would reward him, wouldn't he? Good job, Joseph. Look at verse 11. One day he went into the house to tend to his duties, and none of the household servants were inside or was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak, and he ran like you're supposed to do, run from temptation. Verse 13, when she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand had run out of the house... She was embarrassed is what she was. She was shamed by, his, by her going after him. She had never met a man of God with integrity like this. She called her household servants. She said, look, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him the story. That Hebrew boy you brought here? To make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When the master heard this story, his wife saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. In other words, this was lockup, hard, hardcore kind of prison. But while Joseph was in the prison, verse 21, the Lord was what? Come on, how can God be with you when you get falsely accused? How can God be with you when your brothers want to kill you? How can God be with you when you're in a foreign country? How can God be with you when you don't have any chance to call home? How can God be with you when you're doing the right thing? Because God is with us, and sometimes we face adverse things. Get over it. And it's what we do in those moments that's significant. And Joseph is going to shine like the stars. So he finds himself in jail. No visitations by his family. His dad and mom aren't coming to see him. And then in verse 23, he's in prison. He's in jail. Look what happens to him. Verse 23 says, The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was what? With Joseph and gave him success even in the prison. Joseph's very courageous here. Becoming a man of God has nothing to do with your present address, your income, or your status, or your position in life. It's being wherever you're at and standing up for what is right. And God is about to blow his doors off with blessing because he remains faithful even when he gets handed a difficulty in the adverse situation. Just like Adam was handed, the little baseball player, he did the best with what was given to him. He didn't whine, he doesn't gripe. I get fed up with whiny men. I just want to... <laughs> Seriously, get over it. Do you think a man really wants to hear you how difficult it is to hear how whiny you are? No, they just want to beat you up and take your lunch money. Seriously. I am serious about that. There's not a man in here that wants to hear another man whine. 
And I can guarantee your wife doesn't want to hear that. Joseph has a chance. He really does to shine. But he has a choice to make. Not every man in this situation would do the same thing. In fact, most of us are familiar with D-Day, as we call it. The invasion in Normandy, France. And when we often think about that, we think of these heroic men that just stormed into France and into enemy's way and gave up their lives so the allies could win. And we rarely hear that there were other things going on during that time. A bunch of men were dumped in. Some chose to be great. Some chose to be cowards. Listen to this. The invasion of France and the end of World War II actually began the night before the Allies hit the beaches at Normandy. When the 82nd and 101st Airborne Divisions were dropped in behind enemy lines to cut off Hitler's reinforcements. If you've seen The Longest Day or Saving Private Ryan, you remember the dangers these paratroopers were facing. Alone or, or in small groups, they moved through the dead of the night across the country they had never been able to be in in order to fight an enemy that they couldn't see or predict. It was a moment of unparalleled bravery and cowardice. For not every trooper played the man that fateful night. Sure, they jumped, but afterward, many hid. One group took cowardice to a whole new level. Too many men had hunkered down in hedgerows to await the dawn. A few even had gone to sleep. Private Francis of the 506 saw what was perhaps the worst dereliction of duty. He had gathered a squad near Vereville. Hearing all kinds of noise and singing from a distance, he and his men sneaked up on a farmhouse. In it was a mixed group from both American divisions. The paratroopers had found liquor in the cellar. And they were drunker than a bunch of hillbillies on the Saturday night before the unbelievable D-Day. Unbelievable indeed, the author says. These men knew they were at war, yet they refused to act like it. They lived in a dangerous denial, a denial that not only endangered them, but countless others who depended on them to do their part. It's the perfect picture of the church in the West. Don't be that guy. Don't leave this room today in the same patterns and behaviors that you did when you came in. Let's be single men and married men who rise above, who have the the, the favor of God stamped all over their life because they're following hard after him. Let God rewrite the ending instead of you. At some point, you got to surrender your will. I love this account because it ends the way most stories don't. Joseph could have been very bitter. He could have just been angry waiting to get revenge on his brothers. But just the opposite is about to happen. There's a famine in the land. And Joseph's family is filling this. Joseph is put in charge of Egypt. Anything he wants. He gives the house that he was in, had favor all, and Joseph was in charge. Meanwhile, back at home, look at chapter 42 and verse 1. Look what's happening back at home while Joseph is put in charge. Chapter 42 and verse 1. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons. I love this question. I mean, this is, there's so much sarcasm in this. Why do you just keep looking at each other? 
In other words, they're saying, oh, dude, what do you think I should do? Oh, no, what do you think? Oh, no, let's go kill a pig. We think a pig's enough? Let's go plant something. Oh, no, what do you think we should do? He said, well, you quit looking at each other and do something. Then he says this, I have heard that there's grain in Egypt. Uh-oh, this dream's about to come true. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. So the story goes that Joseph's brothers find their way to Egypt, and they end up before Joseph. Joseph knows that it's his brothers, but they don't recognize him because they think he's dead and gone. They would never thought he'd be in charge. They never thought that the guy that would be in charge of the country, they would be talking to the prime minister. There's no way they thought that. And so they go and stand before this guy. Joseph recognizes them, but they don't necessarily recognize him. And the story goes like this. He reveals himself to him. He says, I am your brother. Can you imagine the looks on their faces? Dude, we're dead. Dude, you're really dead. You're the one that wanted to kill him. And so he's standing there. It's this moment that's just great for Hollywood. This moment that they're scared and they're looking for the exit door. Joseph sees them and he says this. It's not your fault that I was brought to Egypt. Can you imagine? Dude, what did he say? He says it's not our fault. How can it not be our fault? We're the ones that sold him. We're the ones that threw him in the cistern. It's not your fault. God put me here so that I could have this moment and succeed. Probably one of the primary reasons so many men in this room fall short of God's intended blessing on their life is because they try to take their life in their own hands. And probably one of the primary reasons you are that way is because you're toiling in sin. You're letting the things of your past keep you restricted from who you should be. Dudes, it's time to shake those chains of your past. The world is longing to see men like this, who band together, set aside their faults, forgive each other, and form a strong band of brothers. I love this. Joseph could have went after him, but he gives him food, and he meets his father, and there's a happy reunion, and he doesn't hold bitterness against him. And God literally lets him fulfill the dream and the destiny that was on his life because he was in charge, and his brothers did bow to him, and he was in charge of the country. He could have short-changed that dream and that destiny on his life by choosing to sin, but he didn't. Listen to me, man. Don't short-change what God wants to do with you. Get back on that straight and narrow. There is greatness at the end of this road. I believe this so strongly that we're developing something brand new at Grace Community Church. We're asking men to rise up. Men, post high school. Doesn't matter what age you are. If you want to be a man of God, we are creating a whole new wave of men's ministry. And it's going to begin, not tomorrow, Monday, but next Monday. So next Monday, put this mentally. We're going to give you reminders this week. But next Monday, you're going to walk through that day, and it's going to get nighttime. I got to, so you don't get confused. At 12 o'clock at night... Not Sunday night, 12 o'clock, but Monday night, 12 o'clock a.m. We want you to be right here at Grace Community Church. You're saying, dude, that's late. It's late. Yeah, it's late. And right now, some of you say, oh, I've got to sleep. If if you've checked out, you've already checked out. We want you to be here, and here's why. We're going to start a brand new men's ministry. It's kicking off at 12 o'clock at night, and we're calling it the Fight Club. And here's why we're calling it the Fight Club. Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 14 says this. Don't be afraid of them, 
Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters. Fight for your wives. Fight for your homes. And so we are creating a brand new group called Fight Club. And what is it? It's a men's group. This is not your typical men's group. These are men who refuse to live the status quo. It will require resolve to commit. You will get weekly assignments. You, you will protect each other's back. You will band together. You will have ability to do the most creative and innovative things that the world has yet to see in men's ministry. And Grace Community Church will have a group of men called the Fight Club that will push back the forces of evil and marriages will flourish and young men will grow up and to be men of God. Now listen to me. Some of you want to bail out. You've already got excuses. Well, I got to go work at 6 o'clock. Some of you are tired. That's too late. Show up if you want to be a man of God. I'm telling you guys, this is exciting. And don't be one of those guys who said, hey, I'll just let someone else go. And, and, and you ask him, hey, what was it like? You're not in. You got to show up. There's mystery to this. Every part of you will be encouraged. Every, it has nothing to do with how, what age you are. And listen, once you come in and you commit... We're going to have a creed from the word of God, and you're going to commit to it. You're going to see something like you've never seen, ladies. Now listen, don't make your wife remind you of that night. Show up Monday night, 12 o'clock in the evening, Grace Community Church. Now you might say, well, Pastor Jim, I, I got a long ways to go before I can come a man of God, and probably true, because in this room are probably men we don't even have God with them. You don't have God with you. You don't remember a time where you crossed over from death to life, where you surrendered your soul to Jesus Christ in your heart, and you say, you know what, from this day forward, I'm going to walk with Jesus. There are men in this room who have never surrendered their lives to Jesus. Let me tell you something, men. The best decision you'll ever make is to surrender to Jesus and make him the Lord and leader of your life, bar none. Bar none. And there are men in this room, you've heard these messages over the last three weeks, and you say, man, that'd be great if I could have destiny on my life and greatness on my life, and I wish I wouldn't be that guy. And some of you men, if you can't remember a time when you, 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 you made a, a, drove a stake in the ground and said it was on that day, or if you just kind of raised your hand in a service, yeah, I'll go come to Jesus, and it stayed in your head and it didn't go to your heart, it wasn't genuine. Listen to me, men. If you want to have the Lord with you, you want to see your life resurrected and potentially your family and the world resurrected, and you can't do it alone. You need Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you a chance. I'm not going to wait 15 minutes for this. It's either you do or you don't need Jesus. And it's either you do or you don't, and you take him right now. The word of God makes it clear. We confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we repent of our sins. He becomes the Lord and leader of our life. Jesus went to the cross and died for your sins. You repent. And repentance says you turn and you go in the opposite direction. You work and you go in the opposite direction. And you go in the opposite direction. And it means it's, listen, from this day forward, everything changes for you. It's the first step in that new walk with Jesus Christ, and by the way, it's the best step you'll ever take. So listen to me, man. It's either you're in or you're not in. 
Let me just say this, though. I know there's men in this room who need Jesus Christ. And there's those men in the link. I have given my life to see men come to Jesus Christ. Don't waste this opportunity. Don't waste the redemption that was shed on the cross by a Savior named Jesus Christ. He loves you way more than anyone could ever love you. He's a good God. And I don't stand here in the pulpit each week and preach because I'm paid to do it. I do it because I love my Savior. And he loves you. So I'm going to ask you to do something very bold. If you can't remember time that you gave your life to Jesus Christ, or you would say, I'm going to do something brave and bold. Today is the day. We've already had 10 men in the first service. Just surrender. If today is the day that you want to give your life to Christ, men, just stand up. I'm not going to wait. Just stand. Just stand. Don't be ashamed. Stand up. Don't be ashamed. I'm going to give you 10 more seconds. This is life and death. Nine, eight, seven, six, five. Four, three, two, one. Let me speak to you guys. This is the best decision you've ever made in your life. Listen, listen. This, hold on, hold on, hold on. Listen to me. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Jesus Christ lives in you. The power that resurrected Jesus from the grave lives in you. You are dangerous. You are powerful. You are strong. With God, you can do anything. And when the devil wants to tell you otherwise, you tell him who he is because the Bible says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And from this day forward, everything changes. I am proud of you. Are we proud of them, church? Let me say this. You may have a seat, men. Thank you. I want those men around them, men, when the service is over, I want you to come alongside. Encourage, speak courage into them. Pray over them. Help them. I also know in the room of this size, in the room that's in the link, that there's some of you who will never become the man of God unless you put away your sin. Some of you have this pet sin. Some of you have this spirit that thinks you can't do it. Some of you think you can never overcome. Some of you need to set aside laziness. Some of you need to set aside a pattern of discipline that is just wrecking your life. Some of you need to let loose of what is holding you back from being that man of God. And right now, the Spirit of God is telling you what that is. You will never be or become or see the greatness and destiny that God has on your life unless you clean your heart and say, today is the day I am giving this over completely. So if that's you, and you're saying this is the day, everything changes. I'm tired of living under. I'm tired of walking into a group of men and the percentage of godliness goes down. 
I want to be the man that repents and puts this junk behind me. I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm just going to ask you to come and kneel at the front. I'm not going to prolong. Just come. Just come. Just come. Are you the man that God wants you to be? If not, saying, God, I need you to work in this area. God, I need you to work in this area. God, I don't. I'm not going to prolong this, guys. Just come. Come in the link. If you're in the link, come to the front stage. Pastor Jeremy is there. It doesn't matter what your wife thinks right now. It doesn't matter what your girlfriend thinks. It doesn't matter what your friend thinks. It only matters what Jesus thinks. Let's pray, man. I'm going to pray for you. Father, the living God, the creator of heaven and earth, the God who sustains and holds the world in motion, the God who lives in these men. I pray, Father God, that you would take these areas of lives that's restricting men from being all that they can be. I pray, God, that you will battle for them. I pray for courage. I pray for strength. I pray for power and boldness and bravery. I pray for dignity and loyalty and integrity. I pray for character. I pray for names that bear the the name of Jesus Christ. God, I pray for sustained victory. Not just today. Not just tomorrow. Not just Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. For the rest of their lives. In areas that have restricted and held them in chains. I pray this because of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross. And I command Satan and his demons who had had holds and footholds in lives of men. I pray, God, that you would win. Give these men a taste of a win. And now, God, we send them off along with the other men in this room. And may we advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ in a forceful way. And may the gates of hell not prevail against us. We love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. See you men next week. God bless you.